We're on week number two of a sermon series called The Light, Messiah in the Menorah. If you were here last week, then you know that we started talking about the Jewish menorah, okay, the Jewish lampstand, which was found inside of the Tabernacle of Moses, and then later in the Tabernacle of Solomon, and then later uh, Herod's temple. The tabernacle, and then later the temples, is where... Israel would worship God in very specific ways and with very specific things. The most valuable and one of the most important things in that system of worship was the menorah. This lampstand lit the holy place so that the priests could minister before the Lord all day, all night. Okay. Now I want you to hear me this morning. Um, the idea of light shining in the darkness has always been a part of the Jewish culture and religion because they believe that just like God sent Moses as a deliverer to bring them out of the oppressive slavery that they experienced in Egypt, they also believed that God would send someone to deliver them from darkness, from the oppressive power of evil that plagued the hearts of man. Remember, Satan, in the form of a serpent, deceived Adam and Eve into disobeying God, which opened the door for darkness to oppress humanity. But God made a promise. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, God says, I will put enmity between you, talking to Satan, between you, Satan, and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. In other words, one day a man would come with the ability or with the anointing to destroy the darkness, to destroy the evil that Satan introduced to mankind. By the way, Messiah, everyone say Messiah. Messiah, Messiah means anointed one. The Jewish people were waiting for someone to come who was anointed to break the power of darkness. Uh, one of the first eye-opening things that Jesus did is he stood in the synagogue and he began to read from the scroll of Isaiah. And this is what he read, Isaiah 61, the spirit of the Lord is on me. He has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And it says, then he rolled up the scroll, returned it to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fixed on him. So they're looking at him and he looks at them and it says, today, this has been fulfilled in your midst. Like Jesus totally just proclaimed that he was the Messiah. <laughs> and he was constantly doing stuff like this. He wanted the people to know, I am the one that you have been waiting for. Amen? Anyway, light became one of the greatest analogies for Messiah that Israel would use. And they used it a lot. Some familiar ones to you maybe. Uh, Psalm 27 verse 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Saw, uh, Isaiah, rather, 
Isaiah 60, verse 1 and 2. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. For behold, darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness is over the peoples. But the Lord will rise upon you, and his glory will appear over you. And then last week, I, uh, I showed you Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2, where it says that the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. Okay, so when this guy shows up, Jesus shows up and says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. It would have gotten their attention, right? Not only because Jesus was claiming to be the light that the people had been looking for, but also because to say that he was the light of life was as if he was saying, I am the menorah. Last week, we talked about light. Jesus says, I am the light of life. This week, I want to talk about life. I want to show you how the menorah itself teaches us that God loves to bring life to things that are dead. That's this whole sermon in one sentence. And then the title for this message is Man Alive. <laughs> Anybody ever use that phrase? Man Alive. Man Alive is an expression of uh, surprise or uh, shock or astonishment. It's like saying, Lord have mercy. Good night, nurse. Right? I never understood what that one means. <laughs> when I was a kid, I would ask my poppy, my grandfather, um, to watch me do something that I thought was totally awesome. Okay? And he was a big, burly guy. I mean, just a big guy. And so he would watch and and he would smile and he would laugh. And then when I finished doing whatever it was that I thought was the most amazing thing, he would just go, holy mackerel. <laughs> I loved it when he would say that because it made me feel like I was the best. You know what I'm saying? It was awesome. He thought whatever I just did was astonishing. Let me just say that what Jesus has done and what he is doing in our lives is astonishing. Can I get an amen? And I really want you to see this. So this weekend, I'm going to start in Romans chapter 11, and I don't have time to read this. And so I'll just tell you that the apostle Paul warned non-Jewish Christians, Gentiles who follow Jesus, which would be us. Okay. We are not Jewish unless you are Jewish. But we're not Jewish, therefore we are considered Gentiles. Paul warns Gentile believers not to be arrogant in our attitude towards Israel. Because we have become partakers of a promise that was made to them. Like salvation was promised to the Jews first. But the people failed to put the pieces together. Like they didn't see the signs. God had given them all kinds of clues about who Messiah would be through the law, through the prophets, through the tabernacle system of worship, which would have included the menorah. But when Jesus shows up on the scene, they didn't recognize him. 
So they rejected him. But Romans chapter 11 goes on to tell us that Israel's rejection of Jesus as Messiah brought reconciliation to the whole world. In other words, now anyone, not just Jews, anyone who would believe and receive Jesus would be uh, grafted in to the spiritual blessings and promises that were first offered to Israel. Grafted in is a horticultural term for joining two plants together. And there are several purposes for grafting. One of which is to bring back to life branches that have been broken off. Branches that have been broken off and are on the verge of death. Well, the reality is, is every man, Jew and Gentile, was broken off. Thanks to Adam and Eve, right? <laughs> Thanks, Adam. Appreciate it. Humanity was on the verge of death. And so God sent his son, Jesus, as the life-giving vine that God would graft man into. That's why Jesus says in John 15, verse 5, I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from the vine, we just continue on, dead in our sins. But with Christ, in Christ. Listen to what it says in Ephesians chapter 2. Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our sins. It is by grace you have been saved. The Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And last week we spent some time in John chapter 1, and one of the things that he says is, in him, in Jesus, was life. And the life was the life of men. And again, this is true of every man, Jew and Gentile. But God chose Israel to be the nation that he would use to bring mankind back to life. That's why God called Israel a light to the nations. Because it all started with them. And when it came time for Israel to shine, Jesus called it their own Jesus called it their time of visitation. He shows up. It's time for them to get it, but they didn't receive it. Jesus said, you did not recognize your time of visitation. They missed it, and so they rejected Jesus. And what did God do? God broke off that unfruitful branch, Israel, and gave all the other nations, the Apostle Paul um, calls all the other nations a wild olive shoot, wild olive shoots. So he broke Israel off, the unfruitful branch, and grafts the wild olive shoots, the nations, into the blessings and promises that God originally made to Israel. Right now, Israel is in a state of unbelief. Like they're blind 
They are a broken off branch. But the Bible tells us that there is a day when Israel will say, Baruch, Abba, Bashem, Adonai. You guys want to try that, don't you? Everybody say, Baruch, with a little Baruch, Haba, Bashem, Adonai. Which means, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. One day, Israel will believe. They will receive Jesus. And Paul says in Romans 11 that when they do, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? There will be a day when Israel, as a nation, will believe and receive Jesus. And Paul Paul goes on in Romans chapter 11 to say that when they do, though they are a branch that has been broken off from the tree, God will graft them back in again. We call that the restoration of of Israel, a day when God will um, graft Israel back in to their own promises. This is prophesied over and over and over in the Bible. Now, you you may be thinking, what in the world does this have to do with the menorah? I thought this was going to be about light. And it is, but remember what Jesus said, John chapter 8. He says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And John, first John, rather, chapter five, verse 12, John says, he who has the son has life. Jesus said in John 12, I have come as light into the world so that everyone who believes in me will not remain in darkness. I have come as light. But he also says in John 10, 10, I have come to bring life and not just life. Your Bible might say life to the full, or maybe it says life more abundant. Last week, I told you that God's greatest desire is to eradicate darkness. This weekend, again, I want you to know that God loves to bring life to things that are dead. Can I get an amen? So I'm going to do that by showing you four ways that the menorah is a model of the Messiah. Four ways that the menorah is a model of the Messiah. We all understand what a model is, right? Anybody grow up doing model cars or model airplanes? Some of you guys, maybe. Some of you girls, maybe, but mostly guys. I tried doing that. I would glue it together. By the time I was done, it looked like it had already been wrecked. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) But the menorah is a miniature prophetic model of the person and work of Jesus. And I want to show you what I mean. Um, Number one, write this down. The menorah models new life. The menorah models new life. If you can, turn to Exodus chapter 25. This is where we were last week. Exodus 25. And I'm going to start reading in verse 31. So you can uh, catch up if you want. Exodus 25, starting in verse 31, says, Make a lampstand of pure gold. The lampstand and its base and its shafts are to be made of hammered work. We talked about that last week, what hammered work is. Some translations say beaten work. Okay, go back and listen. Its cups, its bulbs, and its flowers shall be of one piece with it. Six branches shall go out from its side. Three branches of the lampstand from its one side, 
three branches of the lampstand from its other side. Verse 33 says, three cups shall be shaped like almond blossoms. In the one branch, a bulb and a flower, and three cups shaped like almond blossoms. And the other branch, a bulb and a flower, for six branches going out from the lampstand. And in the lampstand, four cups shaped like almond blossoms, its bulbs and its flowers. So the menorah was meant to resemble an almond tree as it comes to life, as it blossoms with bulbs and flowers in the springtime. How many of you even knew that almonds grew on trees? I'm like, nobody knows that. <laughs> of all the plants, of all the bushes or vines or trees that God could have modeled the manure after, why the almond? The almond tree is a beautiful tree that blossoms very early and very quickly. Think of winter as a season of death. The almond tree is the first to come alive. It's the first to wake from its winter sleep. So the almond tree was a symbol of resurrection. It was a symbol of new life. In fact, the word almond translates vigilant. We know vigilant means to, uh, to wake or to watch. And you can always tell when spring is just around the corner just by watching the almond tree. It's like God was telling the world through the menorah that new life is just around the corner. Winter is almost over. God was about to bring dead things back to life. Watch for it. Wait for it because it'll happen. God loves to bring life to things that are dead. Amen? Most of us have heard of Jeremiah. Jeremiah was one of God's prophets that spent 40 years of his life trying to get Israel to turn back to God. But Israel was in a bad place, and Jeremiah was constantly discouraged. Jeremiah's like, God, they're not listening to me. They're not listening to me, Lord. And so God shows up one day and speaks to Jeremiah and shows him a picture. In Jeremiah chapter 1, the word of the Lord came to me saying, what do you see, Jeremiah? And Jeremiah said, I see the branch of an almond tree. Then the Lord said to me, you have seen correctly, for I am watching over my word to perform it. <laughs> Don't you love that? It's never a matter of if God will fulfill his promises. It's only a matter of time of when, right? All we have to do is watch. All we have to do is wait. I think the word that came to Jeremiah would have been very encouraging because Jeremiah had been trying for a long time to get Israel to wake up and to see the error of their ways, to see their rebellion against God and to repent. How many of you have ever tried to show someone the error of their ways? That is not an easy thing to do, right? It's hard. Trying to convince a brother to wake up and turn from their sin, it's brutal. Especially if they just won't wake up. It can be very discouraging, right? 
There's something about God showing Jeremiah this almond tree branch that would have brought him encouragement. Okay. Now, real quick, I want to give you um, number two, just really quick on this one. The menorah models our vigilance. The menorah models our vigilance. How many of you know the enemy is always looking for opportunities to bring us down, to take us out, right? Well, what do we know? Light exposes darkness. For example, when I go camping and I got to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night, I'm going to bring me a flashlight. I'm not going to that tree without a flashlight because I don't want a snake to bite me, right? When we're connected to the light, I mean, reason this out. When we're connected to the light, it's harder for the enemy to sneak up on us and bite us in the foot. Right? Which means we don't have to be worried or afraid or fearful, freaked out by all the dark and terrible things that are happening in the world around us. Scripture says, the unfolding of your words give light. Scripture says, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. When we are connected to the word, we know the word, it's going to be super hard for us to be deceived. Number three, the menorah models God's approval. Write that down. The menorah models God's approval. On your own time, I would encourage you to read um, Numbers chapter 16 and Numbers chapter 17. Great story. One of the priests of Israel, a guy named Korah, leads a revolt against Moses and Aaron. 250 men come to Moses and Aaron and question their leadership. You read the story, you read that God goes on to deal with Korah, and he deals with all those men. And then he tells Moses to gather the leaders of the 12 tribes and have them bring their staff to put inside of the tent of meeting, inside of the holy place. Aaron brought his staff representing the tribe of Levi. And in Numbers chapter 17, it says, Then Moses placed the staffs before the Lord in the tent of the testimony, the tent of meeting. The next day, Moses entered the tent of the testimony and saw that Aaron's staff, representing the house of Levi, had sprouted, put forth buds and blossomed. It produced ripe almonds. That's new. And you guys see that? That's amazing. In an effort to show the people who God's choice was for the very first high priest, God takes Aaron's staff, a dead, broken off branch from an almond, uh, almond tree, and brings it to life. Like, that's crazy. And because of this event, Jews have considered the almond a symbol of God's divine approval. And this is what God insisted that the menorah be modeled after, an almond tree. It's almost like God was saying, I pre-approve of the person and work of Jesus Christ. I pre-approve of who he will be. I pre-approve of what he will do. And then later at just the right time, the day that Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist, 
It says that God spoke his approval of Jesus. Luke 3 verse 22 says that the Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus in the form of a dove. And a voice came out of heaven saying, you are my beloved son and in you I am well pleased. Clearly, God approved. Amen. And remember what God showed Jeremiah, the branch of an almond tree. Again, it's like Jeremiah is discouraged. He can't get through to the people. God says, don't worry about it, man. I've got a plan. I've got a plan. I have pre-approved someone that will come with the anointing to set the people free. So you just relax. The menorah, shaped like an almond tree, models God's approval of Jesus. Okay, let me show you one more. Write this down. The menorah models abundant life. The menorah models abundant life. So we just read how God takes Aaron's staff, a dead, broken off branch from an almond tree, brings the branch to life. It even produces almonds, right? But I want to show you one word in this verse that's going to make you say, holy mackerel, okay? <laughs> Man, alive. So let's look at this. Number 17, verse 8. The next day Moses entered into the tent of meeting and saw that Aaron's staff representing the house of Levi had sprouted, put forth buds, blossomed, and produced ripe almonds. I mean, come on. Aaron's rod didn't just produce almonds. It produced almonds that were ripe and ready to eat. What does that mean? It means that God doesn't just bring life to things that are dead. He brings abundant life. Jesus said in John 10, 10, I have come that they may have Life. And again, it goes on to say life to the full. Maybe your translation says life more abundant. And I want to pause and just ask you what? And this is rhetorical. You don't have to answer out loud. But what is abundant life? Because Jesus said he came to bring it to us. What is abundant life? An abundant life is a life that is good and ripe and ready to be used by God. Amen? Ready to be enjoyed by God. It's a life that's enjoyed by all the people around us. An abundant life is a life that we ourselves enjoy living, <laughs> right? We're all alive. But are we really living? Are we really experiencing the joy and the peace that comes with the Lord? I hope you're hearing me this morning. Are we content? Are we living um, to our full potential? Are we, are we fulfilling God's call on our life? Are we fruitful? Let me say it this way. Do we feel like our life is complete? Not as in over, 
my life's just complete. It's over. <laughs> this is as good as it gets. That's not what I'm talking about. What I mean is that internal feeling of I'm not missing anything in my life. Now, maybe you're not married yet and you think I'm missing my wife or I'm missing my husband. We get that, but that's just reality. You want something and it's, it hasn't come yet. But I'm talking about that feeling of contentment. I'm not missing anything. Even though I'm, I don't have this desire, I don't have, I'm not missing anything here. I am living a full life. And we all know the ups and downs of that, right? We know how that can ebb and flow, how we feel about life. But here's what I've noticed in my own life. I feel most fulfilled and fruitful when I'm close to Jesus. Which makes sense. Because look what Jesus said in John chapter 15. Verse 4, abide in me and I will abide in you. Just as no branch can bear fruit by itself unless it remains in the vine, neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who abides in me and I in him will bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Let me ask you this. How many branches does this menorah have? Okay, a lot of people are saying seven. That's the answer that most people give. Okay, there are seven lamps. But let's read Exodus 25, verse 32, one more time, okay? Exodus 25, verse 32, six branches are to extend from the sides of the lampstand. Three on one side and three on the other. So let me ask you one more time. How many branches are on the menorah? Six. Six. Good. <laughs> now, why is that important? Because when you study the Bible, you find that certain numbers have consistent symbolic meaning. For example, one is the number of God. In Deuteronomy, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is one. The Lord our God is one. And you just see that theme all throughout Scripture. The number seven, most of us know, from Genesis all the way to Revelation communicates to us that the number seven represents completion. The number six is symbolic of man. So look at this menorah again. What do we see? We see one vine. And of course, we know that Jesus is the vine. We see six branches. And what have we learned? We've learned that we are the branches. And what did Jesus say about the branches? No branch can bear fruit by itself unless it remains in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. You know, before I made the decision to uh, put my faith in Jesus and follow him, that was me. I was just a dead branch floating around. <laughs> no joy, no peace, 
no purpose. I was just a dead branch. And one day I realized I'm miserable. I'm miserable. I mean, I'm doing stuff. 19 years old, I was doing stuff and I was doing some good stuff. I was doing great stuff. I was doing things where I would receive applause. It may even look like I had purpose, but I wasn't content at all because I wasn't complete. I knew something was uh, missing. Melissa began sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with me, the good news that God had sent his son, Jesus Christ. And I believed. And I counted the cost. And in my calculations, Jesus was worthy. Worthy to follow. So I declared him to be Lord of my life. And I committed to follow him in full obedience. Let's understand what it means to be a Christian. What it means to be a born again follower. It's not just praying a prayer. And putting the card in our wallet. No, I'm, I'm telling you, I'm, I have a ticket. It's about counting the cost, seeing him as worthy, and making the conscious decision, the hard decision, to follow him in full obedience. That's what it means to be a born-again believer. And that's what I did. And just like that, Tony Herring was grafted into the vine. Class? What is six plus one? Seven. And what did we just learn about the number seven? What does it represent? Completion. What is the menorah modeling for us? That man plus God equals wholeness. This man connected to that man, Jesus, and my life hasn't been the same since. I mean, it's not always been a big box of dark chocolate-covered almonds, which I love a lot, but I'm continually content. I'm 100% fulfilled. And I know that he who began a good work in me will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. Amen. Listen to what it says in the book of Romans. This is Romans chapter 10. There is no distinction between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and gives richly to all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. 